Okay, so we、mm. all say welcome to Digitally China.、Yeah. All right, I'm recording. Yeah. Okay. Welcome to Digitally China, a podcast about the fascinating Chinese, Chinese tech, tech industry. industry created together with Radii. I'm Eva. I'm Jacob, and I'm Tom. I'm basically here so Tom doesn't get carried away with the tech hype machine. So what a lot of people don't realize about China's tech industry is that there are these waves of buzzwords that take over. So with bike sharing, it quickly developed into battery pack sharing, umbrella sharing, basketball sharing, etc. So when you read headlines from China's tech industry, you really have to dig deeper and understand what's happening on the ground, which is kind of why we're doing this podcast. It is actually the hype machine that got us here in the first place for this new test episode.、Right? Yes, but the difference is you love it, whereas I hate it. <laughs> so, according to various studies, China's gaming industry is now, in fact, the largest in the world. You may know their messaging app called WeChat. Chinese outbound M&A. Chinese corporates are buying international companies at record pace. Hottest phone you've probably never heard of. China's Xiaomi. Yes, it's state. It's claim to Apple's credit. Major deal over in China. You have Chinese tech giant Tencent leading an 8.6 billion dollar acquisition to buy a major stake in Supercell. 14.3 billion dollars in sales clocked by a Chinese e-commerce site in one wild day. So a few weeks ago, we were talking about Luckin Coffee, which at the time we kind of called a glorified coffee app that raised a ridiculous amount of funding. Valuation one billion dollars, and basically an app where you can order coffee, which is not anything unique at all in China. Right. I mean, here you can get、uh, French fries, three course meal, even hot pot delivered to your house. So the idea that like a coffee or a cup of coffee comes. To your apartment or workplace is not fresh or unique at all, and it's been hyped all over media as the Starbucks killer in China, which is a pretty big deal because Starbucks is killing it in China. It's definitely the market leader, and that's actually why we're trying to ask us the question: Is it just a hype, or do we actually have something valuable? Because at the first glance, it really looks like a scam. And actually, after trying their coffee, we both. Quickly got tired of it. I mean, it's it's really mediocre. Yeah, exactly. But obviously, considering a lot of investors have put a lot of money in there, people may be smarter than us. We wanted to actually give it a fair shot and trying to understand it before judging it too much. I mean, they're definitely smarter than us. I'm just saying, probably, you know, just to seem cool. So we already know how the app works and the basic idea. For us to start investigating the value of Luckin Coffee, we thought we'd start at the beginning, which is China's coffee culture, a market that both Luckin and Starbucks is really interested in.、Um, and after understanding how Chinese people drink coffee and how that habit has formed here, then we can kind of look at Luckin's business model and see if it makes sense. Because if you read a lot of the articles, the thing they claim is that they can make coffee production more efficient, lower the rent, and therefore be able to offer way more coffee per square meter, and therefore make more money than normal coffee chains. And that's actually the core of our question: whether that could happen or not. But in order to do that, we obviously got to understand how the coffee industry works and also how coffee chains work. I guess, like for me, it's what I want to know is、uh, people talk about the quote 
digitization of coffee. And I want to know what that means in a food delivery market that's already so digitized. And I just want to know if you can make money on this or not. Dirty capitalists. <laughs> so we met up with Greg Savaris, a China coffee expert, to kind of get his take on how things have developed here, what it's like running a coffee business, and what his take is on Luckin Coffee. My name is Greg Savaris. I've been in China for about, uh, about 14 years or so. I pretty much have three different interests in coffee. Uh, the first is through restaurants and coffee shops. We have uh, a restaurant in Beijing and Guangzhou each, and then three coffee shops called Ocean Grounds in Shanghai. Mm. Uh, we also have a boutique uh, market research firm that focuses on food and beverage, uh, specifically coffee. Uh, we've done a lot of work uh, in the coffee industry the past couple years. And um, this year, getting ready to launch our, uh, our trading company. So first, when we were talking to Greg, we asked him about coffee culture in China and any differences he's noticed between what's happened here, how it's developed, and a market like the U.S. So I think it's important to have a good understanding of how coffee culture uh, evolved in China. Uh, it's a bit different than how it evolved in other parts of the world. So if you look at countries like the United States or in Europe, coffee started from the bottom up. So it started from people who were taxi drivers and bus drivers and had jobs in factories, and they used it mm. to stay awake. And then it kind of slowly trickled up market, mm. uh, where you had like the wealthy people were still drinking tea, right? That was the the, the 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 drink of the rich, right? And coffee culture spread kind of bottom up. In China, it's the complete opposite. So it's starting from the top down, where you have the wealthy mm. people starting to drink coffee. And uh, the people who are in the more manual labor type jobs, the blue collar jobs, still predominantly drinking tea. And we haven't really seen this kind of distribution anywhere else on earth yet. So what that means for a market like China is that the most sophisticated coffee drinkers or the people who have this habit are urbanites, people in big cities, and middle-class elites, so people who are more familiar with Western culture. It sounds so logical, right, what Greg says. It's just I've never thought about it from no. this perspective before. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, and it actually makes sense because if you look at uh, the coffee in China, you know, it's being sold at 4 or $5 or even sometimes $6 per cup, right? So it's actually a very upper middle class type of product. And I really didn't think about, you know, that in, in Western societies, we usually had lower middle class. So middle class actually starting drinking before it trickled upstream, like he says. Yeah, I also never thought about it that way. And I guess for coffee shops here, like on the business side, it means that they can sell coffee as a premium with potentially higher margins. So after understanding how coffee consumption works here in China and how that's different versus the West, obviously our next question is about how the coffee industry actually works. From our conversation with Greg, what we've learned is even though coffee is priced higher, it doesn't mean that it's really easy to run a coffee business in China. Making money in coffee is, is very, very challenging. One of the biggest challenges that a coffee shop faces is the barrier to entry. It's just so low. Anyone with a little bit of money can open a coffee shop. The problem is that when you're negotiating with landlords, they're receiving tenders from many, many different coffee shops, right? And of maybe five different tenders, only two of us will actually be a business, and the rest will be a wealthy person or the son or daughter of a wealthy person who's always dreamed of opening a coffee shop and 
they're going to open their coffee shop because it's their dream. Well, the problem is that while it's great that they are into coffee, it's raising the ceiling uh, for acceptable rent prices for the rest of us. And the main question here is, what are the actual costs of a cup of coffee? Is rent a big part of it? Therefore, is it something to actually save from a luck-in perspective? Um, When we were talking to Greg, actually, the coffee part of the drink is a very small part of it, maybe like 10%. Um, And he said that the only thing cheaper than the coffee part is water. The coffee part of your coffee drink is uh, pretty cheap. That's It's a good deal cheaper than the milk by a lot. Um, you know, I'm sure that people will smile when they when they hear that and, and kind of think, you know, damn you coffee shops. But the, the, the reality is everything else that goes into that is very expensive. Your milk prices, the price for the cup, the price for the straw, the lid, uh, the napkins, all of your staff who have to make the coffee, the cost of the equipment, the rent that we just touched on. While the product itself might be inexpensive, the overall experience and getting that cup of coffee to you uh, is quite an expensive process. I mean, originally the question was about, all right, if I sell a cup of coffee for, let's say, $3, what parts of those $3 are profit, what goes to rent and coffee and et cetera, et cetera, right? And apparently, based on the conversation with Greg, there's almost nothing spent in the coffee itself. Right. So I guess the thing is, if you can lower the rent costs, then your margins can improve significantly. I think Greg used this term, which is that each of their coffee shops are more like distribution centers. And actually, when you and I went to a brick-and-mortar looking coffee shop, both of us noticed that it looks very much like an assembly line. So you have a few people behind a counter, but no one really interfaces with the customers. There's no checkout line. You pay through your app. You can only you know order and pay through the app. Then you scan the QR code to pay by yourself. And then behind the counter, there's like two people who are just in charge of the coffee machine. So they're making the coffee. Then you have the person at like the delivery station. So they're bagging everything, getting thing, everything ready for the delivery people. From a business model perspective, they can really uh, minimize their floor space. They can really minimize the amount of rent that they pay, right? and maximize the most profitable customers for a coffee shop. And who are they? Those are the customers who grab and go. Who go in, they grab their latte, their Americano, and they take it to go. So the theory about Luckin is basically smaller place, low rent. And thanks to e-commerce, they can generate a much higher number of orders. Therefore, they can sell the coffee at average lower price and still make enough money. So conceptually, Luckin's model actually makes a lot of sense when you look at the rent prices and China's overall coffee industry. But Mm -hmm. the next question is, have they executed well on this concept? So to look into that, we did kind of a silly small test where we basically bought lots of coffee for multiple days at the same time to track the order numbers. Yeah, and luckily, actually, they have an order number system, which makes it kind of easy to guess how many coffees they sell per day. And the key thing we want to figure out is, are they leveraging the e-commerce play to be able to sell more coffees than any normal chain? So just a few basic metrics about the luck in my office building. So it is office building in central Shanghai, but this coffee place is inside the building. The area for coffee preparation is very small, probably 30 square meters, something like that. 
and they have maybe four or five people in the staff preparing coffee. And based on our estimations, they were able to get about 600 orders per day, which means minimum 600 cups of coffee. But obviously, the way that we counted orders is not foolproof. I mean, I kind of brought up the idea as a joke to Tom because I'm sure they've thought about competitors trying to trying to count their orders. So actually, we had no idea if 600 was reasonable, if it was right, if it was low in the industry or impossibly high. So we went back to Greg and we asked him, like, you know, do you think it's possible for a coffee shop to make 600? And if so, like, what kind of number? Like, what does this mean? You know, if you factor in their their online sales platform, I think that's certainly possible. I've read similar numbers. uh, So that, that 600 cup number is not so different than than the numbers I've read. And based on my in-market experience, I think that's possible. It's it's really a a volume game for them. Um, Any beverage that they sell will be profitable. This episode isn't going as planned, Eva, because I was uh, expecting us to be able to be way more negative about Luckian. But everything we've learned so far is actually saying that they are a pretty good case. Yeah, I mean, their business model is actually pretty simple. It sounds like, you know... A huge pain point in the coffee industry is rent. So they've tackled that with these distribution centers and they know food delivery and the delivery system, you know, e-commerce, whatever, is so mature in China that you can roll this out easily. You already have the infrastructure. You're not like those companies in 2015 building out food delivery for the first time, right? So everything's kind of set up for them to expand really quickly and just take advantage of this, I guess, nascent coffee industry in China. Yeah, and if they're able to lower the rent a lot and the coffee cost is already very low and they're leveraging e-commerce as a sales channel, it means that they can actually drop the pricing for coffee in China overall without losing like on a gross profit level. I think it works particularly well in China because the cost of labor here is so low that if you make this, you know, Actually, when we were talking to Greg, he said that if you go to Luckin Coffee, the baristas are pretty low-skilled. Not that they're not intelligent people or anything like that, but that Luckin has designed it such that you go to Luckin Coffee and um, making the coffee is really easy. So you can hire not very specialized labor, right, to do this for you. Mm-hmm. And delivery is also really cheap here. So, I mean, I don't know if this would work outside of China, but in China, you can set this model up, this simple model up easily, and it tackles the rent problem. And then it makes your margins bigger. So, Eva, uh, based on everything we've heard so far, it's supporting the fact that Luckin isn't a scam like we thought it was. Yeah, I think maybe also something that we both fell into is evaluating the product primarily, which was that the coffee's not very good. They're only just buying uh, users with discounts to have them buy their mediocre coffee. But actually, I think the business model is pretty sound, even if I'm underwhelmed by their product. Okay, so sound business model, but let's talk about how they grow. So from what Luckin's done so far, it looks like they're following the same trajectory as a lot of Chinese consumer-facing companies. Um, they're trying to basically buy their market share via subsidies and discounts. So in the past, you know, ride-hailing companies have done this, uh, bike-sharing companies as well. Basically, you make your product free so that there's very little reason for someone not to use your product. 
Yeah, but one thing I feel is a little bit different when comparing Luckin to, for example, Didi, is that because margin is so high for coffee, even though when they almost give out the product, I know like in the beginning their deal was buy one, get one free. Now you get about 30-40% off. But in that case, they still actually make money on the coffee. So compared to a lot of other internet startups in China, one lucky grows and gain more user base and transactions, they actually do not lose more money. They actually just make more money. I guess my bigger concern is that as Luckin continues to grow, um, I feel like they can't rely on subsidies forever. And at some point they need to build some kind of brand loyalty um, so say they get rid of subsidies, what makes someone choose one product over another? Then it's really about, do I like their coffee more? Do I love the Luckin brand? I just think that it, it'll be a big challenge for them to hold on to users after they stop giving out subsidies and discounts. Because once that happens, they really need to have enough brand loyalty or a compelling enough product for people to choose them, even if their prices aren't so competitive, um, or there are any like fun buy one, get one free deals. But the question is, do they actually need to increase their prices and care about that? What if their entire strategy is to become the Xiaomi of coffee? You know, going out to tier three, tier four cities of China and enabling that trickling downstream and making coffee like super cheap, still having margins. I mean, they only need to do like one RMB in profit per cup of coffee, which is literally sales price of, you know, way less than 10 RMB, as long as they go for the volume, right? For sure, I think that could be a five-year goal, right? But I think 10 years, 15 years down the line, I suspect they want to build a reputation for themselves, like not just be... I think at this point, that's a very profitable thing to do. Bring coffee to lower tier cities. I'm sure there's fortunes to be made there. So yeah, I agree with that. But I do still think that at some point, they're going to have to work on brand. This actually totally changed my mind about Luckin. Like we started off by me being super negative and you as well. You're so easy. <laughs> Maybe I am easy. I don't know. <laughs> but after, you know, understanding the coffee industry, understanding the margins of coffee, actually getting some type of small, tiny proof about how much they sell already now after nine months... I kind of really believe in this concept now. And I don't believe it from the perspective of, you know, oh, they're going to make so much money or this is going to become a high margin type of business. I only believe in Luckin from the perspective that I think there is some room on the market of scaling out coffee to the real mainstream of China, making one RMB, two RMB per cup, and just make sure you have millions of orders per day and therefore still building a very large business. You know, after learning more about Luckin Coffee, especially parts of their business, not just their product, I understand why it's very likely that they're turning a good amount of money through each distribution center and why, let's say, some investors would think it's a good idea to give them $200 million. Um, I think the question of how to convert first-time coffee drinkers in China is still pretty big. I mean, whoever figures that out has, like, a huge market to fill, right? Because... What I think of is I know that Starbucks, when they came to China, they, they kind of became this living room concept where people go to Starbucks to hang out. Um, and, you know, the, the hours are later. It's like a place where people just chill. 
And even for me, like I love Starbucks in China. I didn't love it in the U.S., but I love it in China because there's good Wi-Fi, there's outlets, and it's really comfortable. And that's why a lot of people go there too. Um, and maybe it has some kind of upper class branding in lower tier cities. And Luckin doesn't have any of that, right? It has no offline presence, really. That's that appealing. So I guess my question is: Is celebrity marketing and discounts enough to get people into loving their coffee? Yeah, exactly. So basically, Luckin is just a proof that you know there is an opportunity to go after mainstream in China, and this is a typical product where there's an opportunity to drastically lower the consumer prices. But obviously, there's a lot of things that we don't know. Is it even possible, like, to do it in a short amount of time? Right, and I guess like you know you brought up Xiaomi before, maybe. It's a good analogy, you know,、um, making coffee cheaper or more mainstream, like making smartphones more cheap and mainstream, and then slowly you kind of build your own brand. One of the things that actually got us interested about Lucky is because media is hyping them up to become this kind of Starbucks killer. But the more you think about it, the more it actually makes sense that Starbucks will continue to be this kind of experience center, where Lucky is just the cheaper and maybe more efficient way to just get the thing you want to drink. Period. Nothing more. I think they can definitely coexist, right? And being Um, the number two to Starbucks is by no means like a doesn't mean that you're not going to make a lot of money either. Yeah, exactly. So、uh, thank you for listening to this episode where we've been trying to figure out whether Luckin is actually a good case or not. And since this has been a test episode, we'd really love your feedback on the content itself or the structure, what have you. And we're always looking for interesting topics and questions to explore about China's tech industry. So feel free to send us your suggestions or tips about that as well. And for the first time ever, I think、uh, Eva has changed her mind. <laughs> well, in Shanghai, coffee is going high tech. Right now, I'm at、uh, Starbucks' newest rival in China. This is a chain called Luckin. This is multiple years in planning. And the name comes from the Chinese name Raising or Luck and Happiness. 